Al Jazeera podcast. A high-stakes meeting in Sochi. Turkey's leader Recep Tayyip Erdogan holds talks with Russia's Vladimir Putin amid international efforts to revive the Black Sea grain deal. Can Erdogan convince Putin to rejoin? And how solid are relations between the two countries? I'm Fully Batibo, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Meet our guest for today's show in Moscow is Andrei Baklanov, a former Russian ambassador and deputy chairman of the Association of Russian Diplomats. In Bangkok is Michael Bursescu, global affairs analyst and senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. And in Istanbul, Sedar Demirop, associate professor at ISIC University. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, before we discuss what was achieved and not achieved in Sochi, I want to ask you first about the state of the relationship today between Turkey and Russia. And Andre, in Moscow, let me start with you. How would you describe this relationship today between President Erdogan and President Putin? Is it on solid ground? Well, actually, uh, these are the relations between the neighbors. Uh, in several uh, questions, uh, we are developing our relations uh, in due way, very successful, especially in the economic field, uh, the collaboration uh, in uh, the atomic energy project. Uh, in some uh, regional um, uh, problems we have uh, different points of view and uh, well as far as the grain uh, deal uh, there was another discussion now and I do not think that uh, it was uh, a breakthrough or anything of this kind mm. uh, first because uh, the main problem dealing the uh, the uh, grain deal is uh, the attitude of the Western countries, of the Western okay. countries, not Turkey, but Western countries. But we are afraid that Turkey and uh, personal president of Turkey cannot uh, have the opportunity to affect the policy of the Western countries. So it could be that uh, all these uh, negotiations with Turkey is a kind of futile, mm. uh, you know, futile attempts uh, to influence and to make uh, the deal going on. As you say, no major breakthrough on the grain deal, Andre, in Sochi. I, I do wanted to ask, uh, I want to ask you one more question about the relationship between President Erdogan and President Putin, Andre. And we saw Russia criticize uh, Turkey uh, for its stance on Ukraine for uh, accepting uh, and, and uh, supporting uh, Ukraine's bid to, to join NATO. Do you think uh, Russia views Turkey today as a trustworthy and reliable partner no not no uh, it's quite quite confident after what happened during uh, the last months and uh, the last weeks and uh, after the decision of mr erdogan to uh, return back the criminals uh, of uh, azov uh, uh, regiment to ukraine after this of course we cannot classify our relations uh, as a kind of friendly relations. This is just the relations, the relations okay. between the neighbor countries. 
Okay, let me ask Sada in Istanbul about our thoughts on the relationship. Sada, uh, Andre just said that uh, the, the Russians don't view this relationship between Erdogan and Putin as uh, um, it's a friendly one, certainly, but the Russians don't necessarily trust or, or, or see Putin as a, uh, Erdogan rather as a reliable partner. What's the view from Turkey? It's been a very difficult balancing act for President Erdogan, hasn't it? How solid a relationship is it as far as Turkey is concerned? Well, it's a fact that the relationships between Turkey and Russia are not as um, close as they have been before the elections in the summer. So since the elections in summer, um, Turkish elections and Erdogan's victory, we have seen Erdogan turning his face a bit more towards the West, um, which is in line with Turkish traditional foreign policy, from which Erdogan had been deviating over the past couple of years due to conflicts with the U.S., particularly in Syria, and also, again, conflict with um, the U.S. about the uh, coup attempt in Turkey in 2016. Um, Erdogan had blamed the U.S. Um, for taking part or implicitly supporting the coup. Mm -hmm. um, so since then, Turkey um, had, Erdogan, I would say, has been pursuing closer relationships with Russia. So I would think that relations with Russia can only be understood when we follow relations between Turkey and, and the USA, uh, okay. the West, particularly the USA. So there has been a gap between Turkey and Russia ever since the elections uh, because of Turkey's rapprochement with the West and okay. also because... Uh, because of domestic pressure, I would say. Yeah. So Erdogan has been following a strategy of um, co-opting some of the opposition or adding some of the opposition agenda uh, to his own agenda. So a pro-Western policy, um, pro-Western foreign policy, or return to orthodox economic policies. These were the opposition's agenda during the election campaign. But now, okay. since the elections... Erdogan has been um, adopting um, some of these policies, which so, is... So, so there have been changes. Yeah, there have been changes and domestic factors have, have perhaps influenced some of these changes. Let me ask Michael for his, for his thoughts about the state of the relationship between Turkey and Russia, Michael. Does Turkey still play a leading role today? Sure. Well, I'm glad um, our the guest from Russia underscored the importance of neighborly relations. And I hope when he goes home... He'll take a long, good look in the mirror and ask himself about uh, how Russia has been treating its neighbor Ukraine, slaughtering civilians and damaging infrastructure. In terms of the relationship, um, if indeed there's no agreement uh, from these talks, I think expectations are very low going into them. It is a loss uh, for global food security because I think uh, in that relationship was important because Putin and Erdogan um, had a pretty good um, uh, kind of talking relationship. Uh, uh, Putin, uh, sorry, Mr. Erdogan is one of the few uh, leaders who has Mr. Putin on uh, speed, speed dial, so to speak. And um, I, I think he really wanted to see some resolution to this uh, deal. Now, 
One more thing, a couple of things about Mr. Erdogan. Number one, he rarely goes into a high-stakes negotiation without getting something out of it. And number two, I think this he also went into this for domestic consumption. Um, mm -hmm. When they went into the meeting, they also talked about uh, nuclear energy, Russia supplying, I think, about four plants to Turkey, uh, tourism, and also trading in their own currencies. The Turkish economy is not in very good shape, so he needed to show something coming out of that as well. Okay, and I'll ask Ida in just a minute uh, about what uh, Turkey has gotten out of this meeting. But I wanted to come back to Andre first and talk about uh, the grain deal. We heard President Putin say that Russia will only be ready to rejoin this grain deal once all the agreements are fulfilled. So talk to us about the conditions and why Russia pulled out of the, of the agreement in July and what it wants to see happen in order for it to rejoin it. Well, actually, we are tired. We are tired about this uh, hypocrisy and lie and inaccurate uh, figures uh, which appear uh, in the West and uh, also the story about Russia, uh, you know, uh, annulled the, uh, the, the deal by, by, by itself. It was uh, the only way out for us because for one year, one year, nothing happened dealing with the obligation of the Western countries uh, to give the opportunity for the Russian grain and for the Russian uh, fertilizers to go on. So we fulfilled all our obligations and Western countries did not fulfill uh, their obligations. More than this, it was a fraud, a fraud, because only 3% of the grain came to Africa and uh, more than 80% came to Europe. So. The whole story was the fraud from the very start, you know, because the pretext for the agreement was the necessity to uh, to fulfill the the uh, grain uh, grain uh, export to African and other uh, uh, countries that are in need of because of the hunger. So the whole story turned to be fraud, and uh, it, it we should it was a great mistake, I think, of our government that we waited for one year before we terminated our participation. We should have done it uh, much time uh, before, maybe after two or three months mm. when it appeared that uh, the whole story is not developing in the right way. Okay, uh, let me so ask Michael to respond to that. Yeah. Michael, over 30, Michael, go over ahead and respond to that. Over 50%, sorry, over 50% of the 33 million um, metric tons of grain that left under the deal according to UN figures, which is a party to the deal, uh, went to developing countries. Uh, just quickly, I returned from the BRIC summit just now, and Mr. Putin put out the same inaccuracies that only a small sliver of the grain went to uh, poor countries. That's not true. The figures are there online. Uh, I, I think they still allow Google to work in Russia. Go ahead and Google the figures yourself, sir. Okay, Andre, uh, briefly, before I bring back Sedai into the conversation, you, your response to that. And also, I wanted to find out why, you know, even after Russia pulled out of the deal, if it was genuine about it, why did it perhaps uh, also attack Ukrainian uh, facilities, Ukrainian uh, grain storage facilities? We saw attacks on the port of Odessa as well. Why? Well, uh, actually, uh, we, we are waiting uh, that... Uh, the Western countries either give uh, the opportunity for our grain and fertilizers to go, uh, or we will uh, make direct uh, agreements as we already started with African studies, uh, states. We have already uh, negotiated with six African states, and uh, in the weeks to, to come, we shall supply them free of charge 
but this is not uh, the way of uh, developing the trade relations, but, but we, we can, do not have any other opportunities to go. Okay. La Sera, uh, your thoughts about what we just heard from both Andre and Michael, and also how you think Turkey and President Erdogan can convince uh, Russia to return to this deal. The, the Russian seem adamant that, you know, their, their agricultural bank has to return to the SWIFT system. Does uh, pres President Erdogan has the leverage right now to convince the West to, to perhaps uh, accept some of these uh, uh, proposals from Russia? Well, first of all, I should also uh, start with saying that like before I said how Erdogan has been uh, trying to restore its, his relationships or Turkey's relationships with the West. But it's important to note that this doesn't mean he's willing to give up um, uh, Russia as a, as a um, trade partner or as a strategic ally. So Erdogan um, and both Putin, they're both um, pragmatic and flexible leaders, and they would, uh, I, I would expect, especially for Erdogan, I can say that he would try to keep relations positive with Putin. And the revival of the um, grain corridor is important for Erdogan. One, for uh, keeping food prices down. That's important because um, now local elections are coming up uh, in, um, in March. Mm -hmm. So that's one factor. But in addition to that, having um, that mediating role. Erdogan has been branding himself as someone who can talk to both the West and um, Russia. So this mediating role has been important for, for him. Also domestically, uh, that uh, has been granting him um, prestige. So um, he will try to convince Western um, actors to, um, um, to allow um, Russian exports to reach global markets and the Russian um, agricultural bank to be connected to the mm. SWIFT system again. And perhaps, actually, Erdogan's now closer relations with the West could um, pay off and, um, and come useful in um, actually benefiting Russia by, okay. uh, you know, like them too. Michael, interestingly, President Erdogan in Sochi today said that Moscow, Russia, has a right to refuse the deal in its current form because uh, it was not fair. But at the same time, he was the one who negotiated the deal in the first place with the United Nations. So how do you explain this change of tone from, from Turkey? Sure. Well, I think what um, happened um, weeks, uh, months actually before the deal, the Russians unilaterally pulled out, was the Russians were deliberately slowing down clearance of the ships. So uh, the ships that were leaving Ukraine and going to, to the uh, foreign markets. So they basically sabotaged the deal themselves. Um, that's number one. Look, the other thing is, um, if I can go back, sorry, to something you said earlier about um, the Russians bombing uh, Ukrainian port infrastructure. You know, let's call a spade a spade. This, these strikes are a direct strike on the global food supply chain. I don't hear the outrage from Western capitals that this is happening. And I think the Russian strategy is to decimate Ukrainian port infrastructure to, to the degree that it can't function. And the Russians thinking that they're going to be able to get um, world buyers to, take, to buy grain from them. That would be a very bad development. So 
what needs to happen right away today, not even tomorrow, is for Ukraine to proceed with those unilateral corridors that they've established across the Black Sea in recent weeks, um, convert container ships to those big bulk carriers that carry grain mm. with the cover of Western ally support, surveillance planes and also armed escorts. If that's what it takes, why should poor people in Egypt and many other countries be starving to death because of the arrogance of a small group of men in the Kremlin? Okay, let's uh, allow Andre to respond. Andre, your response to that. Well, what should I respond? It's just the prolongation of this, uh, uh, you know, cheap propaganda which we are hearing uh, each day. So I do not think that uh, as an ambassador I should, uh, well, go on responding for such, uh, you know, claims. Well, actually, um, we are ready to return back only with one condition. Uh, if the shipments uh, of the Russian grain and fertilizers will go on, and we have the proof that uh, these, uh, these uh, you know, export facilities uh, are accomplished, only after that we can return back to the uh, grain deal. Grain deal. Until now, it's not grain uh, deal, but it's fraud deal, as I, as I told you. So everything is in the hands of our Western allies, former allies, you know, uh, the former part partners. If they give, give access for uh, our shipments, it will be okay. If not, we'll block uh, the rest of the deal uh, because it's fair. It's fair. Uh, okay, from, no, but at the time, the Andrei, start, we, Andrei we were, Bakhlanov, sorry, sorry, Ambassador... Sorry, sorry, sorry. From yeah. the very start, we were ready to collaborate. We gave uh, access uh, to the Ukrainian grain. But we waited for several months until the other part of the of the of the grain deal will accomplish. But we didn't have any opportunity uh, for our sh shipments to go on, and that was the start of the present-day crisis. Okay, I wanted to ask you that at a time when we're seeing Ukraine intensify its offensive and, and its drones targeting Russia, is there a real appetite, do you think, for diplomacy and for negotiation, or is it just, uh, you know, uh, talk? Uh, so about, about sanctions, well, I, I think that uh, uh, the Western countries can amuse themselves with sanctions which go on. We are a great country, we have everything, we, we have grain, we have oil, we have uh, gas, we have, uh, you know, sufficient level of, of the sophisticated weaponry. So, of course, it's not a pleasant thing to have sanctions against us, but it's not fatal and we'll go on our development with all this. I'm absolutely sure that uh, soon the day will come when the Western countries will stop their stupid policy of this uh, trying to sanction uh, the biggest, uh, the, the, the largest uh, country in the world, in okay. the richest country in the world as far as uh, material resources are concerned. Let's try and move the conversation forward now. And, and Sid, I want to come back to you because President Erdogan has offered himself as a mediator to settle this Ukraine conflict. And I want to ask you whether this is feasible. Can he use his uh, close relationship, or what is perceived as his close relationship uh, with Putin, to, to move towards a settlement of this conflict in Ukraine? Well, he's going to try. That's, um, I could most certainly say that, because that's very important for him. Like I said, both for domestic politics and international politics, uh, that would be a great achievement for Erdogan and it could help him to expand his support base um, back home. Um, he's, uh, despite what many people expected, actually, um, since the elections, Erdogan has been 
not polarizing, but actually uh, trying to unify the um, the opposition and and, and his um, supporters. Um, so I think that would success there I mean reaching um, peace between Ukraine and Russia with Erdogan's involvement with Erdogan's mediating role or Turkey's mediating role that would uh, grant him the power, the prestige that he is trying now. Probably is it's going to be his last term as president and he would um, like to be remembered uh, with this legacy. So he will try any leverage he has on the uh, the um, close relations now uh, he has with the West for that purpose. But of course, I mean, there are, mul there are multiple actors and we cannot quite predict what each actor will, will do. So I cannot say whether peace will be reached uh, in the short run or in which period it will be reached. It could be reached, but I think it's in the best interest of all actors. Um, and it looks like, I mean, like with the UN statements about uh, softening sanctions towards Russia and everything, um, I could see that um, some of Russian demands uh, will be respected more in the short run uh, compared to um, the past couple of months. Mm. Okay, uh, Michael, your thoughts uh, about the sanctions, which Andre also talked about. He said at some point these sanctions are going to have to go. And, and there has been, it would seem, some movement and perhaps some reflection about lifting some of these sanctions against Russia to give diplomacy a chance. Under no circumstances uh, should be they, they be loosened. In fact, they should be tightened because you still have um, elites in um, the, the elites, people in the elite circles around Mr. Putin um, investing in certain countries, traveling with abandon. So um, it would set a very bad precedent if uh, the UN and the EU go ahead and allow that Russian bank to get back into SWIFT, if they allow that frozen uh, Russian fertilizer to leave EU ports. It would only embolden and encourage other dictators to act like Russia. I should also add, if I can, that um, as our uh, guest from Russia was speaking, uh, he forgot to mention that uh, Bellingcat and other very uh, authoritative, incredible bodies have actually been tracking these phantom uh, Russian ships that have been turning off their transport transponders and shipping illegally stolen Ukrainian grain through Russian ports to world markets. Uh, they're acting like sea pirates, and uh, they should be held accountable uh, for that as well. Okay, Andre, your, your response, if you want to respond, and I also want to put to you the question about uh, uh, President Erdogan offering, offering himself as a mediator to resolve this uh, conflict uh, between uh, Russia and Ukraine. Uh, how does Moscow view this, and is there still room and appetite for diplomacy? Well, actually, um, I think that uh, we can doubt the uh, sincere uh, wish of Erdogan to be a sincere mediator. Uh, he is uh, the member, I mean, Turkey is the member of the NATO, and we are openly having uh, the war, uh, uh, well, uh, against NATO on the territory of Ukraine. So this is a very strange, uh, uh, you know, mediator, uh, which belongs to the bloc we are waging war with. Uh, so uh, I do think that uh, uh, these attempts of Mr. Aragon uh, will uh, reach uh, 
you know, some uh, some tangible uh, success. So, okay, if he would like to go on, uh, he's free. But it seems to me that mainly these attempts uh, to uh, to underline his opportunity to be the mediator because of their attempts to in the in the in the UN, uh, which will resume on the fifth of of, of this month, uh, to go on with uh, securing the new uh, place and the new role mm. of, uh, of of Turkey in the Security Council arrangements and uh, in the UN structure. Uh, they are uh, they are giving the argument that uh, the Turkey should be within uh, the Security Council because uh, it's a very uh, important and major mediator. That's why he is very much. Uh, I mean, Mr. Dagan is very much but, uh, enthusiastic yeah. about. Uh, but well, Andre, just coming back to my question, that. just coming back to my question, mm -hmm. the war cannot go on forever, right? Is Russia interested in settling this conflict and in diplomacy? Interested in diplomacy? Well, uh, I think that uh, the majority of the countries uh, do not understand or they uh, uh, tend to, uh, to, 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 to make sure that they do not understand the nature. The nature is the prolongation of the Second World War against the fascism and the, against the nationalism that was on the territory of Ukraine too, because there was 1.2 million of traitors on the territory of Ukraine. So they're resuming the same role. This, the same about the Europe. Mm. Uh, the, the countries of Europe, 22 countries of Europe, they, uh, you know, helped Hitler against their war against the Soviet Union. So okay. this Michael, is the prolongation of the war. Of the okay, Second Michael, I'll, I'll allow you to respond yeah. briefly before we end the show. Please. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost not worth responding because it's the typical Russian uh, narrative. But anyway, all, all I'll say is that uh, what we're seeing happening right now in terms of diplomacy, the world getting much smaller for Russia, for Mr. Putin. Um, we saw what happened at BRICS. So now they're going to be doing diplomacy with the mullahs in Iran, with China, okay. with other rogue states. So we uh, I wish them luck with that and they'll see what how little they get in return. We'll leave it but there. It, Thank it you. Is, yeah, thank, yeah you. thank you so much. We're, we've run out of time, unfortunately. Unfortunately, thank you so much for a great discussion. Andre Baklanov, uh, Seda Demirop, and Michael Bruchescu, thank you. This episode was produced by Mohamed El Aishi, Fintan Monahan, Fungi Nguyen, Hannah Shokir, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Sentil Marimutu. The program was edited by Vishnu Sheila, Zena Badr, Khaled Sultan, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next episode. This week on The Take, find out why South Korea is facing a school bullying crisis and what's being done to stop it. That's The Take on Al Jazeera. Get it wherever you listen.